Morning, everyone. You guys well? I am well. Thank you, Tools. I am. You got to shoot you in paintball yesterday. I'm very well, bro. I mean, uh, <laughs> but uh, Tools, worship today is phenomenal, bro. Uh, thank you. Thank you to you guys and the band. I was actually, just during worship, I was thinking, I don't know about you, but I find this mixture of like glory and brokenness all in the same moment where I'm like, yes, Lord, more. And then at the same time, I'm like, no, no, Lord, I'm, I'm broken and hurting. And they say that the closer you get to the light, the darker your shadow becomes. And I think sometimes worship is like that. You, you get closer to the light, you see Jesus for who he is, and you realize the brokenness of who you are. But what an exquisite moment. And just thank you guys for your, your prep. I feel like you, you, you take us into the presence of God. It's something of like heaven and earth overlapping in a moment. And just want to say thank you, Tools, to all the prep that you put in for our worship. It's some of the best worship I think I've ever got to experience. It's here at Red Point, at our home. So we're in the joy of um, journey, journeying through Genesis chapter 9 and 10 today. And we've been going through Genesis and um, I hope you've enjoyed the series. I certainly have, and I find it challenging and exquisite and um, all of these beautiful words that are beyond me. But I um, just want to go through a quick recap of what we've been doing. Genesis 1, beautiful creation of our Father and uh, giving us this exquisite world and life and beauty. And Genesis 2, being hospitable and gracious and kind and, and, and loving on us. And Genesis 3, this epic fall. Incredible fall where, where this brokenness that we feel comes from. Genesis 5, we see the, this lineage. We see right at the beginning there's this, there's this promise of I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Your offspring, this, this idea of a seed that will come. This offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I just want us to remember that seed, that, that seed that God speaks about from the beginning because we're going to be dealing with it through the text today even as we continue. Then Genesis 6, this terrible scripture <laughs> where the, you see the wickedness of man. It says only every inclination of the heart of man is only evil all the time. You're like, come on, Lord, surely there's something good. But, um, and then you see, as Nick spoke about so well last week, the, the flood, Noah and the, and, and the ark and this um, sort of the judgment that God brings in the wickedness of the world. And um, we find ourselves now in Genesis chapter 9 where where there's this new humanity in a sense, where God's starting again with a new group of people, where he did with Adam, and Adam fell, and, and, and God now has pronounced judgment, and now there's this new group of people which we find in Noah and his family. All there, do you remember? Yeah, that's where we are. So this idea of seed is something that we're going to look at today, this idea of sacrifice, this idea of a covenant is introduced in, in a more formal setting today in Genesis chapter 9, and this, uh, even this small hint of life blood, something of the blood and the preciousness of blood coming through in Genesis chapter 9, and uh, we see brokenness, we see honor, and some other things that we are going to look at. But my main idea today that I'm wanting us to remember, I want to, I want to look at the idea of this thing that, that we call covenant this idea of the promise of God, which we will see in Genesis chapter 9. And uh, God is a covenant-keeping God. And we, we have experienced covenants, co um, covenants in different ways. If you've ever watched someone get married, there's a covenant that's taking place there. Or if you've ever sold a house, there's something of a covenant that's taken place between you, the buyer, and the seller. But, um, but there's something different about the covenants of God. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, maybe you can open to Genesis chapter 9. And we're just going to be in there for this morning. Father, even as we open your word, I ask that you would um, ultimately come and open up your word. Um, I pray, Jesus, the difficulty of a preacher is to make you magnificent, and your word is beautiful in every way. 
Every word is beautiful. And I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would come and open up your word. Would you, would you make yourself beautiful to us? Would you glorify yourself in our presence, Lord, as we, as we look at your word, Jesus? I pray that you would be made magnificent. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. We are hearing a secondary um, occurrence of this now where it was given in Genesis chapter 1. Now God's reiterating it again. In a sense, there's a, a new start, a new beginning, a new Adam, except this one doesn't start off perfectly. Something interesting to note is that the blessing comes after sacrifice. The blessing comes after sacrifice. At the end of chapter 8, you will see that Noah built an altar and made a sacrifice to God. And it said that this sacrifice was pleasing to him. And almost out of response to the sacrifice, God says, he blesses him. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Direct parallels between Adam and Noah. In verse 2, it says, the fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth. And all the birds in the sky and every creature that moves along the ground. And all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Amen. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat the meat that still has the lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds blood, by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God um, has God made mankind. So just three small points I want to bring out from this text. God allows us to eat meat. Amen. No chanons brai. It's basically what the Afrikaans guys would say. If you're Zulu, she's Sanyama. If you're Indian, perhaps the first chicken curry. Who knows? You know? But, uh, but no longer just vegetarians. Now God is, in a sense, blessing us and giving us all food sources. And there's many different thoughts around that. I'm not going to go into all of that now. But one thing that he does say is he says that you shouldn't eat meat with the lifeblood in it. And God introduces this idea of lifeblood. The, the blood carries the life of, a, of an animal, of a being. And in Genesis, I mean, sorry, Leviticus 17:13, you must not eat blood of any creature because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. And God is telling us something here of the importance of blood. And it's something of a foretaste of, of sacrifice and of covenant and of, of, the, of the importance of blood as the life of a creature. And he's introducing us to something new here. And I'll just let that thought hang till we get to the end. But the third thing that he introduces. So one, you're allowed to eat meat. Two, the lifeblood you shouldn't eat. Three, the institution of human government. God institutes human government here. And he says that, that um, whoever sheds human blood... By humans shall their blood be shed. Something of a, a human government being instituted by God. And uh, this is his idea. It's not a man's idea of human government. And we know that human government is flawed, but he introduces it as a way of stopping everybody doing their own thing. It's a way of restraining um, the, the wickedness that's inside of our hearts. And, and while, while it's not flawed, it's better than a state of anarchy. We can all agree. And God ordained that and established three different institutions, one of them being government. The first one actually is, um, is, is marriage, is, is husband and wife and family. The one institution, the second one is government, and the third one is the church. Those are the three institutions that God gives us. And in this moment, he's giving us the institution of government. I'm not going to unpack that fully because I feel like the text is more than that. And then he carries on in verse 7. He says, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth. 
and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I will now establish my covenant with you and to your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals and all those that come after you. Uh, sorry. And all those, uh, where am I? Uh, come out of the ark with you and every living creature on earth. Um, I'll establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature, a sign for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow or bow in the clouds, and it'll be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the promises, I mean, sorry, will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears, I will see it and remember it as an everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind. So God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant. So we see this word covenant being introduced a little bit more formally. It was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, verse 18, where God introduces this idea of covenant. It's not that it wasn't there before. You see, right at the beginning, God says, obey me and, and it'll go well with you. But, but Adam and Eve choose not to. So there's something of a covenant broken. But, but now God is introducing this new idea of covenant formally, where this is the way that he'll choose to partner with his humanity. It's through this idea of covenant. And uh, it's a promise. And most covenants, if you've ever sold a house, you and your seller, will, or if you've ever got married, you would agree on the terms of the covenant. You would say, okay, I'm going to take occupancy at this date, or et cetera, et cetera. But in the case of God's way, or God's covenant, he doesn't discuss terms with us. He makes the terms. <laughs> He's the ultimate part- partner. He's the one who, who determines what the terms of the covenant are. And that's good. You may think it's bad. What about my rights, Lord? No, forget your rights. It's, it's that God knows what's best for us. <laughs> He's going to establish the covenant and we're going to submit to it because we know that it's ultimately good. We learned that from Genesis chapter 1. Um, then, so he introduces this idea of covenant. And to define a covenant, it's a promise from God to man. God's promises are unilateral. What does that mean? Is that, is that he, in this instance, is making the terms of the covenant and he's not expecting anything in return. This is one of the only covenants that he does this. We actually, that, that there's no stipulations given on the part of man. God stipulates what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to promise peace to my creation and never again will I wipe them out again. And, um, and the sign of God's covenant in this, in this case is a rainbow. But, um, but what I love about the promise is it's eternal. So unilateral and eternal. It's eternal. It'll never fall away, the promise of God. And um, it says the covenant belongs to God. It's not our covenant. It's God's covenant. It belongs to him, and he establishes it between himself and man. It's actually a beautiful, a beautiful extension of God's grace to us, his promise to us. He says, never again will I wipe you out as I have done now by the flood, by the waters that are, uh, have taken place, which is a beautiful thing because if you happen to find yourself in a rainstorm, you can know that it's never going to wipe out the whole um, world again. Even in our localized flooding, we can know that God is enthroned above and will never do that again. It's a beautiful thing. And the theme of this covenant develops throughout Scripture. Right now, this is the first one. It's called the no- Noahic Covenant. Covenants. There's, there's, there's five of them, the five major covenants. And I'll, I'll speak about the rest a little bit later. But at the start, I just want to speak about the, the covenant, co- covenant that he makes with Noah. I'm going to get tongue-tied. 
You guys need to be praying for me here. So, so the Noahic covenant. Noahic. Sounds weird. You can name your child that. But um, the covenant of peace is unconditional. There's no, there's no response required from you. Actually, on this covenant of peace, in this, in this covenant that he makes, it's unique in that, in that it, it's with the whole world. Every single person gets to experience something of the manifold forms of God's grace through this, this promise that he makes to us, that he will never again wipe out mankind through a flood. The sign reminds us or reminds God of his promise. There's other signs that you get, signs of uh, maybe just, maybe just you got those pictures there, Matt? Let's just look at a rainbow. I love that picture. That's a rainbow with a man underneath. Actually, a man getting to enjoy the, the promise of God. And the second one is a neighborhood. A neighborhood. There's a double rainbow. Double, double portion, eh? A double rainbow over the people of God. And, and every time we see a rainbow, it's actually a sign. It's a symbol of God's extended grace to us that we can, that we can remember. And, and not just us, but God can remember. It actually says that I will remember. It's one of the only covenants that God says, actually, this is to remind me that I won't destroy you again by the waters. It's incredible, beautiful sign. And, uh, and often a bow is actually a, it's a symbol of war. It's a symbol of um, destruction or a symbol of death. And some guys have gone on to say so far that it's amazing how the bow is pointed up towards heaven and not down towards man, which, which some have said to mean actually that God will take the, the, the pressure or the pain or the, the, um, the death of, of, of peace. Let me explain this again. Sorry. That the death that will be incurred through the bow will be aimed towards him and not towards man. It's actually incredible, and, and I don't know if I would go so far, but it certainly, it certainly is a great reminder that the peace of God is his idea and that it comes to us free. I, I thought about this, and uh, I wondered whether I should even speak about it, but it's amazing how a beautiful gift of God's manifold grace to everybody in the world is now the symbol that is being used for the LGBTQ idea. And I just thought, what a shame. This is actually a picture, picture of God's grace. It's a picture of his love and its kindness. And at first, I actually felt like an like a, a anger rise up inside of me. How could you take a beautiful symbol of God and use it that's in di- something in direct opposition to what he's called us to? It's like it's, I actually thought it's utter blasphemy, if you think about it. And, 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 and an anger rose up in me because in Romans 1.32, after speaking about homosexuality and broken sexuality, he says, although they knew God's righteous decree and those who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And I felt such a strong warning. We don't approve of things that are in direct opposition to God and his way. We don't approve of things that are in direct opposition to God and his way. And, 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 and our broken sexuality, no matter how we try and justify it, it is sin in God's eyes. And God hates sin. But it's not the extent of the sin that God hates. I think sometimes we can go very hard on the LGBTQI community, but all sin is hateful in God's eyes. And, and this, this changed from an from a anger in me to a prayer. God, would your manifold grace and would your manifold kindness be extended to the LGBT community? Would you bring those who are brokenness in their sin and their, and their identity to a place where they can see the wonder of your ways and be transformed into your image? 
actually changed because I think sometimes we can go very hard, but can we, can we begin to pray for this community? Would they live under the beautiful promise of God? Would they actually? Would that promise be extended to them and would they see it for what it is, not as what they choose it to be? That's, that's been my prayer and, and I, that's been my ask of God and I, I, I hope that's your prayer too. Is that Okay. Can I leave the rainbow there as a sign? There's other signs. There's circumcision. There's the Sabbath, which we will get to as we go. So the sons of Noah came out of the ark. There were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Ham was the father of Canaan. They're already introducing Canaan. And uh, then Noah was a man of the soil, verse 20. And he proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders and walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned away or turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Whoa, what a tragedy, isn't it? We see Noah, this great man of God, building an ark for 120 years. 120 years he's busy building an ark in the face of opposition. And now in this moment, after the fall, after bringing his family into this new place, we see him falling. And falling desperately. And, uh, and I love how honest the scriptures are. There's no skeletons in the, in the, in the closet in scripture. <laughs> you know, you sometimes wish that there were, but there's not. They're all out in the open for all of us to see. And some things that we can learn. Do not put your trust in man. I think it's very easy for us to put our trust in man. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. Psalm 146 verse 3. You cannot save. Often we, when we see somebody do something really incredible, maybe you lift a boss or a father or a mother or a pastor, somebody into a, a high regard, and then they fall, and you get, you get really hurt because you've put your trust in them rather than in God. And we, there's a warning here for us not to put our trust in man. Man is broken. And I love how, how God's brokenness comes through in Scripture, and each of us can relate to this. Each of us knows the extent of our brokenness, the dark night of the soul, the difficulty that we face, and we shouldn't be surprised when we see it in Scripture. Twice Abraham lied about his wife, and his son Isaac followed his bad example. Moses lost his temper as a result, also lost the privilege of entering the Holy Land. Joshua jumped to conclusions and ended up defending the enemy. David committed adultery and arranged to have the woman's husband killed in battle. And the sword plagued his family for years to come. Noah didn't plan to get drunk and shamelessly expose himself, but it happened just the same. And um, it's something for us to learn from that. We don't put our trust in men. And the second thing I would say is the danger of wine. I know the other night Nick spoke about um, celebrating marriage, and we do want to celebrate marriage, and we do want there to be a, a sense of lavishness and life and, and goodness, but there's a real danger to alcohol. And we see this being um, a, a great example of this here and now. And Noah gets drunk. And, um, and, and we see the brokenness sort of working itself out in need of a, of a, of a substance. And um, the Bible speaks strongly against getting drunk. Strongly. It doesn't speak against having a drink. It speaks strongly against getting drunk. For our young people, actually, it is, it is sin to get drunk. And it's not pleasing in God's eyes. Proverbs 23 verse 31 says, Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. A viper. Your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? 
It's actually an incredible picture of alcoholism right here and the danger of it. And, and we must be careful. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. But for the people of God, it is not a thing to do that. Actually, we have what we need. We're not perishing. We're saved in Christ. We don't need substance to be able to fill something that we lack. Three, our fall often comes after the greatest victories. Great victory that Noah won. And in that moment of vulnerability, he fell. If you have gone through a great victory, be careful. Walk humbly before God. Those of you who think that you stand, take heed lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you, which is not common to mankind. Every temptation, actually God will provide a way so that you can escape. Be very careful of your, your, your higher moments because they're often your most dangerous. Four, this idea of honor. I love how God expected his sons to honor their father, even in his brokenness. I thought that's quite amazing, this idea of honor. And um, honor in the Bible means to esteem or to value or to have great respect for somebody who's been put in a place of authority by God. Yet honor is expected in God's eyes. Honor your father and your mother, and it will go well with you. And not just your father and mother, but all authority structures or people put in place by God himself. Not based, and I think sometimes we think, I'll honor you if you live in a way that's worthy of honor. That's not what, that's not what God's call to us is. God's call to us is, is to honor those who God's put in authority over us, regardless of how they act. My responsibility is to honor those who God's put above me. In this case, you see, we see um, uh, Noah acting actually rather shamefully. But God doesn't, God doesn't credit or, 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 or um, um, show pleasure towards um, Ham in the way that he treated his father. He completely disrespected his father. And, 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 the, and the repercussions of that are seen throughout the generations to come, actually. And, and God, my responsibility is to honor those. I mean, look at David and Saul. Saul was terrible towards David. What does David say to Saul? I will not touch the Lord's anointed because he's been put in place by God himself. And I know this is difficult because sometimes we have difficult situations and, and sometimes we have to work out the struggle of what this is for you individually. But our call is to honor God and those who he's put in front of uh, and above us. Does that make sense? I, in a, as a person in authority, need to live in a way that shows God's beauty and, and live in a way that is honorable. But me, in a position of, of um, to honor, I need to, I need to honor those regardless of how people act. Does that make sense? And it's a difficult one. Your boss, the government, your mom and your dad, your wife, your husband, actually honor, and, and it'll go well with you. It's a beautiful promise found throughout Scripture for us. And our choices will affect those after us. And we see, we see Ham, and it actually speaks about Canaan getting the curse. And there's a whole story around that, which I'm not going to go into. But, but the decision that Ham and Canaan make affect their, their descendants after them. And the choices that you make will affect those who come after you, can affect those who come after you. And it's important that, we t that the decisions that we make are in line with God's way because it'll actually bring blessing. My choice to honor those who God's put above me will bring blessing to my children. Incredible. Is that not good? Okay, Genesis 10. I'm not going to go through the whole passage of Scripture. Um, but we see God now blessing um, Shem and Japheth and cursing Canaan. 
And, uh, and why Canaan? There's different thoughts around why Canaan and not Ham. Some say that, that Noah was seeing prophetically. Others say that as you have done to your father, so your son will do to you. And thirdly, the guys would say that, that perhaps Ham slept with Noah's wife and Canaan was produced, which is a sign of, of usurping authority. And I, I'm not going to land on any of those. Those are the three thoughts around that. The point is, is that in some way, shape, or form, Ham and Canaan completely disrespected Noah. And because of that, the land thereafter actually was, was um, in, cursed, for lack of a better way of saying it. So, to the Semites, to the Shem line, God says, actually, blessed are you. And, and it's that line through which, through which Jesus comes. Japheth means extended territory, and, and they say that that's where some of the greatest minds have come from. The, the Gentiles came through the, 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 the Japhats, and then Ham, it's amazing, all of Israel's em- enemies come through that line. All of Israel's em- enemies through Canaan and as we go on. So what does this mean? All of the people come through Noah. Seventy nations are mentioned. All humanity descended from them. But in the midst of, of the, 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 the people of God, there's this line coming through. There's this, there's this idea that, that, that from the seed of, of Adam and Eve and Seth and then through Shem and then through Abraham and then through David and then continuing on, there's this idea that there's going to be a covenant that comes through the seed of, of God, through the seed of, of, of both divine and human man that will bring about the crushing of Satan's head. And very quickly now, we're moving towards that seed. Does that make sense? We're going to fast track through. So, um, from Abraham, I mean, sorry, from Shem, we get, the, we get six generations that come through. And, and next week, Tools is going to be speaking about Abraham. But right in the midst of this messianic prophecy in, in Isaiah 53, where it's busy talking about Jesus, this one who will come. Isaiah 53 speaks about that. And then Isaiah 54, God says this. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace be removed from you, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So right in the midst of this messianic promise or, or prophecy that Jesus is busy speaking about, there's the story of Noah right there, actually saying that the fulfillment of the Noah, Noah covenant will be found in Jesus, will be found in Jesus. And not only the, the Noahic covenant, but all of the covenant, the five big covenants of Scripture, which is Abraham, which is the Mosaic Covenant, which is on Sinai, which is the Davidic Covenant, which is the line of David, and then, ultimately, the New Covenant. So if you want to go and study this for yourself, the, 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 the covenant made with Abraham is in Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, and he speaks about the blessing will come to all nations through his seed. All nations that will be blessed through your seed. And it says that, and, um, that you must walk blamelessly before me. And we see Abraham falling there. The Mosaic Covenant on the Mount Sinai where God gives this law to his people. And he says, follow me, walk in my ways, and you will be this bright shining light to the rest of the world that would be able to see my goodness through this people. And they would, they would be attracted to the people of God. As, 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 as Israel lives out the beautiful law of God, people would be attracted to him. But we see ultimately 
the people of God fall and they break the covenants of God. And the sign of this is Sabbath keeping. The fourth covenant is the line of David where there's this promise where, where God says to David, you want to build me a house, but actually I'm going to build you a house. And God says, actually, through your line, there will always be a king that will sit in your throne. And one day there will be an eternal king who will bring ultimately, ultimate victory to the people of God and, to, and to, the, um, to the enemy. He says, I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore. How's that for a promise? As they did at the beginning and have, never, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders. Over my people Israel, I will also give, give you rest from your enemies. This beautiful promise to David that there will be this, this line of kings and then the new covenant, the best covenant. The only place that is mentioned in the Old Testament is in Jeremiah 31. And it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be a covenant like the old one when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Then he goes, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they say, teach their neighbor. No one will say, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle on you water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all the impurities from your idols. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. These beautiful covenants which God speaks about. And we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus. Every one of these covenants, Jesus fulfills. To the nth degree, the promise of rest, the promise of peace, the promise of victory, the promise of life and light and glory is all fulfilled in Jesus. And in Hebrews 8, it says, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenants by which, um, of which he is mediator is superior to the old ones, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Isn't that amazing? Can we stand together? God introduces this idea of prom- uh, covenants. Tools, maybe you can, and the band can go up. And I thought the best way for me to, to finish this, I want to ask a series of questions. Just to you, and, and you can just listen, and you can answer them in your heart, actually. And, uh, and let's see, I actually felt like God wants to minister to his people through these beautiful promises that he has for us. The, the point of the covenant of God is that Jesus is the fulfillment of each one of them. And today, are you lacking peace with God? Are you lacking peace with God? The promise in the first covenant is that he is the true peace promised from Noah. Jesus is the true peace. Do you feel like you don't belong anywhere or that you lack God's favor or his blessing over your life? He is the true seed that will bring blessing to every nation. He is the true seed for you to find your ultimate blessing. He is the the one who will bring you a sense of identity, a sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself. He is the one who will ultimately bless you in every way you could possibly desire. Do you feel like you fall short of God's standards? Perhaps you feel like I never attain to the full measure of what I know God expects of me, and I feel like I constantly fall short. I know that His law is good, but I I never find myself reaching it. Do you feel like in some way that you failed God? 
that, that he called you to something and you messed it up and you, you sort of got on the back foot and don't feel like you're going to be able to, to go ahead again. Do you feel like that? He is the true light of the world that shines the holiness of God. He is the fulfillment of God's law. He is the one who's done what you couldn't do before you could do it. He's the one who's fulfilled the promises of God. He's the one who's fulfilled the law of God. He is the the true Israelite that Moses spoke about, the light of the world and God's treasured possession comes through Jesus. In Christ, you're a treasured possession of God. Do you feel like you never live in the victory of God? You feel like you always live in a sense of shame or perhaps that you, you, never, you never quite made it or, or you feel like the, the weight of sin is, is over you all the time and you're never, you're never able to break through the battles that you find yourself fighting all the time. Perhaps you feel like that. He is the true king and the line of David that will be enthroned forever before which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is the king that will bring you ultimate victory. He is the king that will bring you ultimate freedom from the battles that you're finding yourself in. You feel like your heart is cold and hard and maybe bitter. You feel like you've been hurt, like somebody's done something to you that you just can't let go of. Do you feel like you want a new life? Do you feel like you want a new life? you feel like you need forgiveness from God and that your slate needs to be wiped clean. I wish for a new start. I think sometimes we we all wish for a new start. Do you feel like you are far from God and lack lack intimacy with Him? Promises that He is the new covenant who brings the full forgiveness of sin. He brings true intimacy. In Him, you find all that you need. And He is the one who gives us eternal life. He's the one who brings us internal renewal. If you feel like you're dirty inside and you're, you're unclean, God this morning can wash you clean. He can bring you total forgiveness. He can bring you full new life. And I, I want to encourage us. I don't want to make it like weird and sometimes you can feel, but if you answered yes to any of those questions, just any of them, I just want to encourage you to come up to the front. We're going to go out with a song of worship. If you, any of those questions, just come forward right now. Tools is going to be singing an incredible song called Jesus, My Living Hope. And I think sometimes when we move forward, it's something of us walking into the promise of God. It's me by faith taking a step into what God has for me. And you can just come down. I'm just going to give it a couple of seconds. If you feel like you want to, want to, want to say yes to any of those things and you need Jesus to, to walk or to act on your behalf, just come forward and worship at the front. There's a whole lot of space here. This place was designed to worship God in the frontier so that we would walk, worship with a sense of freedom, with a sense of liberty, with a sense of life, with a sense of joy. And, and I, I want us to, whoopsie, make use of that today. You've got a, a beautiful opportunity just to, just to say, Lord, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking hold of your promise for me this morning. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking hold of your promise. I'm saying, yes, this is me. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling like I don't belong. I'm feeling like I need a sense of identity in you. I feel like I'm, I'm hurting. I feel like I'm bitter. I feel like my heart's cold. I feel like I'm far from you. And, and I'm walking into your promises. I'm taking a step forward, and I'm going to worship you in freedom. Just come forward. I, I know there's, there's more of you. Even the guys here up front, just, just move forward. And, and I, w- I want us to worship with a sense of abandon and a sense of joy today. I just want to give it a little bit more. It's amazing. My, my prayers this morning is that Jesus would satisfy every desire, 
every desire and longing of our hearts. And, uh, and this morning, Lord, even as we go into a song of worship now, I thank you that you fulfilled every covenant. I thank you that you are the true and better promise of Jesus, of, of, of the Father. You are the one who in every, every promise is yes and amen, Lord. And, and this morning, I pray for every person here. You know why they're here, Lord. You know why they've come to the front. You know every single person's um, um, difficulties and struggles. You know their hearts, Lord. Even for us who are, are remaining in our seats, Lord, you know where we are. And I pray this morning, would you by your spirit come and minister to us, your bride, Lord. I pray that we would find freedom in your promises, Lord. I pray that we would find freedom in your covenants, that we would find freedom in who you are, Jesus. I thank you that your life and your death and your resurrection is, is the fulfillment of every promise of God, Lord. And, and, and by us moving forward today, we're saying we're walking into this. We're walking into the victory of God. We're walking into the freedom of God. We're walking into the fulfillment of every promise, Lord. We, we long for your peace and we, we thank you for your peace this morning, Lord. We thank you for the, the freedom from the law this morning, Lord. We thank you for freedom from shame this morning, Lord, and from guilt and from bitterness and from, from um, envy and all these, these things that plague us, God. And I pray for freedom for your bride. I pray for true freedom, Lord, that we can, that we can enter into the fullness of who you are, Lord, the, the fullness of the life that you promise us. And we, we regard with a song of worship and you say, be exalted and be praised and be lifted up and be magnified for you are worthy of all glory and all praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.